Welcome back again to Punks on the Pitch podcast. Uh, this is our irregular Monday shows. We don't do this all the time, but I think it's something we do whenever there's fun talking points to, to be had. And this weekend is once again one of those where the wonderful, wonderful world of football has thrown up some brilliant, weird, wonderful stories to, to go along. Um, joining me this Monday is the person that helped me launch this podcast, Adam Vallely of Audience Plea Podcast. Adam, uh, who is known as well as a Tottenham fan, is beaming ear to ear with a massive grin on his face at the moment. So Yeah, damn right. You must be a very happy man right now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, um, I'm cautiously optimistic at the moment. Um, I think when we spoke last time, obviously it was right before the season had started, um, and we'd signed all of these great players and obviously we, we managed to get Regulon and Bale, um, Doherty and all these great players, Hoiberg and yeah, it's working out. There's been a couple of blips along the way. There was, obviously we lost to Everton early in the season. We had a couple of draws as well, um, which were both a bit annoying draws because there was that Eric Dyer penalty. Um, yeah. With the VAR again, VAR being annoying, uh, and West uh, yeah, uh, and West Ham, West Ham, we just threw that game away with three 0 up at half time, and then just threw it away. So it's been a couple of blips, but yeah, we beat City yesterday two 0 and it was a solid performance. Like it was classic Mourinho, um, really good defending. It didn't the fact that Man City were all over us at one point. It was. It, it didn't feel worrying at all. It was such a strong yeah, defense. That's... It was really weird. It was. It was really weird watching us being pinned back and not being worried for a change. So that was the thing. Like, I kind of took that was one of the main things I took away from it. Like, okay, like a two 0 scoreline against City, regardless, is is good. Yeah. But like, despite City kind of coming forward, they never looked. Not they didn't look like scoring, but they didn't look overly threatening. No. no. And I think that's that's credit to to the way the Mourinho's obviously set up this team at the moment. Yeah. Um yeah, Dyer was absolutely solid. He's I'm glad he's now playing in defence and obviously with the Tongan going, um, it was really great to see. Uh, the only bad thing about yesterday was Alderweireld getting injured, which mm. uh, could be our first major injury of the season and hopefully one of few. Because <laughs> um, last season we, we had all those major injuries uh, middle of the season. So, um, But yeah, like Rondon came on, um, who we signed as well. So he didn't really have to do much later in the game, but it'll be interesting to see if he plays more now or whether Sanchez comes in with Alderweireld out. So... Yeah, feeling pretty confident. And obviously, we still haven't seen the best of Bale yet as well. He's played a little bit and he's eh, he's been okay. But I think he'll he'll come through for us as well. But we've got Mora playing well and, and Dombele playing well. Sissoko. I used to hate Sissoko so much. <laughs> and even, even I'm grimacing because he's playing so well. Like yesterday, he was like <laughs> charging runs, uh, good good passing and it's like bloody hell even Sissoko's playing well so yeah I don't know what else to say right now obviously it might change actually when this podcast goes up because Leicester and Liverpool are playing later and Leicester could go top um but uh, obviously touch wood um I would hope for a draw so we stay top this weekend yeah well I was gonna say obviously as recording this Spurs do sit top of the Premier League and like I've got to be totally honest, it's something I wasn't expecting. Mm. I like I think when we spoke on that first episode, you were kind of cautiously optimistic in saying sort of Champions League maybe, but Europa League was kind of more realistic. Yeah. But are, <laughs> are you daring to dream? Uh like I said, cautiously optimistic. Um yeah, I mean what are we nine games in now I think we've played, so what that's literally a quarter of the season um mm. 
it's interesting because uh, let me just get the table up because the the other thing as well though it's not just us doing well it's the other teams that are doing badly which is so surprising so obviously yeah. Liverpool have dropped points uh, I know Chelsea are in I think Chelsea are our main threat um, but like Man United are doing really poorly Arsenal are not doing really great either um, and I think like the top well, it's pretty well spread across the whole league, I think. Um, but I think like the top half, there's only a few points between like the top seven or eight teams. It's mental. So, mm. yeah, I think we have to see when we get to like sort of January time where we're sat, um, whether my whether the mood has changed. But um, yeah, uh, yeah, of course, I, I think stronger for Champions League just because the other teams like people like Man United and Arsenal are doing so poorly but we'll see mate we'll see yeah and I think like one despite the fact like with you being a Spurs fan obviously wanting to talk about this but one thing that I kind of wanted to specifically talk about was like Sun Hyung Ming like oh yeah not because like I don't think like necessarily he's been like a revelation this season but I think it might just be my perspective that he doesn't necessarily get the credit that he deserves mm. because I think a lot of like, especially the English media, because that's what we see and everything. It's all hurricane this hurricane that. And like, okay. Yeah. He is a prolific goal scorer and he's, especially this season, he's almost added kind of like being like an assist machine to his, to his bow as well. Like mm. he's started to vary his, his array of passes but for my money if you don't have son in there at the moment tottenham fall to pieces i don't yeah. know like is Mourinho getting the best out of him or is it just i don't know like I, I, have you seen a, ch- a change in him yeah definitely um i think son i've all I, well i think where he's he's been player of the year twice i think two years in a row i think son's been um like the fan vote uh I know he definitely was last season. Fans voted um, him as player of the season. I definitely, he's always been a great player. And I agree. I think he hasn't um, had the plaudits that he should have had. Um, but I, Mourinho, the way Mourinho's setting that squad up now, he's getting the best out of Son and Kane. And going back to talking about Kane, um Kane has just come on even more leaps and bounds. Um, the wh- the way he's playing now, sitting a bit deeper and like holding up the ball, he's like he's that classic. It's almost like um, the sort of striker you would see in like the nineties and early two thousands. Just like a big mm. big striker, hold up the ball. Um, like there was lots of big strikers, and then there was that sort of era of like just small, skillful strikers. But like Kane, like dropping so far back and then letting like son run ahead and like kane's passing's insane like his i've never seen um kane pass like he's been passing sort of like the last year yeah or so. yeah like his passing game's insane um and obviously it's play it plays well for both of them and that's why all of a sudden this season they've got more goals and assists than any other pairing in Europe. It's mental um, because mm. Mourinho's found their strengths. He's getting Kane to drop deeper and Son's doing these runs. And like I said, when you've got Bale, potentially he's going to become a regular first team player. You've got him as the other third player. It's going to be, I think, we're going to be pretty unstoppable up front. I think defences are just going to be so scared. But yeah, going back to Son... Um, there were sort of glimpses of how great he could be. I mean, he scored the goal of the season last season against Burnley, that huge run. And yeah, yeah, he's just doing more of that, but just more consistently as well. I think last season he was a bit sloppy with his finishing every now and again, but he's just, he picks up the ball and he, like, he's like Bale was back in the day. Like you, Goalkeepers are scared that he's just going to slot it in the corner. Um, but yeah, it's fantastic to see. I'm really, really happy to see Son being w- absolutely world class. Mm. And obviously, I think like a lot of other sort of media outlets have kind of made the reference point that this is almost like a year to the day since Mourinho kind of took over. And 
like I was very much like when he got appointed, like I was very much one of the people sort of scratching my head kind of thing over the appointment. But I think like obviously this year, like where he's been able to kind of start the season with like the players that he wanted and he's been able to sort of introduce the system that he wants. I'm not necessarily saying he's going back to what he was in Porto that made him like the special one, but it's starting to prove like, oh no, he does like, um, this is no disrespect to Tottenham to say they're not a big club, but like he doesn't need to be at like these world beating teams to prove he's a good manager. Mm. Like, I don't like, I don't know. Have you kind of like seen over the year that spanned the Mourinho area at Spurs, like the change with, within the team yeah definitely I think when you watch towards the end of Pochettino's time um, Pochettino had a very specific way of getting Spurs to play which was really high pressing like in your face Um, but defensively we were very leaky and I think a lot of clubs realised that because we would press high and then people would just put a sneaky pass through the defence and, and we were just leaking goals. And that's unfortunately why Pochettino got sacked because as good as we were going forward, um, yeah, we were just so leaky. And then when we weren't scoring goals, it was yeah, it was just a nightmare. And I think with, and again, going back to uh, yesterday's game against Man City, um, there's even when our backs are up against the wall, the defence is just so solid. And I don't know whether it's just like a mentality change or um, a tactical change. Obviously, like watching the Spurs documentary on Amazon Prime, Mourinho is very much about it's all in your head kind of thing. He always talks about mm. forget about that last tackle you missed or that last last pass you like booted out or whatever he's like think yeah. of, he's like think about the next five minutes and then the five minutes after that and I think it's, it's a massive mentality change because like I was saying before yesterday it didn't feel nervy in defense even when Man City were attacking it felt solid and then mm. um yeah classic um uh, like I was saying with like Son and Kane counter-attacking football like Lo Celso came on and literally within 30 seconds he'd scored a, um, a counter-attacking yeah, yeah. goal and it's just like that's what Mourinho's done he just knows the right moments to change things up and it and it yeah I think he's like you're saying I think he obviously had a few poor years um, but I think he's proving again that he is a world-class manager and yeah mm. I, he's definitely made a change at Spurs I think going back to the Pochettino era Pochettino was a, a bit of a one-trick pony I would say but Mourinho you can see in different games he changes things up tactically maybe not formation wise but certainly tactically like yesterday we sat back more a little bit but other games will be more attacking he just knows what to play against what team um, and yeah it's, it's just amazing to see and I really, really hope it continues this season. But <laughs> like I said, cautio yeah. cautiously optimistic at the moment. Yeah. And just kind of like one final thing on the defence. Like, I think, as you say, like it didn't look overly sort of like nervy. But I think what the one, the moments when City did have chances, like Lloris just looked unbeatable yesterday. And I think like he's always, for me, he's always been like a world-class keeper. And I think like being a neutral when it comes to spares he's always been one of the players that I'm like they've got quality in Lloris and I think like again it might be credit to Mourinho or like the coaching stuff that he's got behind him but Lloris is showing why he's one of the best goalkeepers in the world again sort of thing yeah yeah definitely um yeah definitely that's a good point around the coaching stuff and you've got to remember that um, also, Joe Hart's come on board, and we've um, got Gazaniga, and uh, obviously with goalkeepers, they they're very much separated from most of the other training that's going on. Yeah, and I really think like Joe Hart must have had an impact as well uh, this year because he's just an experienced guy, and he'll bring that to the training, the training field as well, and just having another sort of older head, um, and he, he's probably pushing. Larice as well because Larice is probably looking over his shoulder like Gazaniga stepped in for a bit last year when Larice got injured and was very good and now Joe Hart's there so it's 
he's probably having to up his game in training as well. And just going, if I yeah, if, true. If I slip up, Joe Hart or Gazaniga is going to come in straight behind me. And if they play, like if he gets injured again, and then they're they're world class as well, that could be him dropped, even though he's the club captain. So I think there's there's those other parts as well, like having such a strong deep squad. Everyone's playing. For, for their places at the moment. You look at Deli Ali is another example. Like Deli Ali's basically been dropped um from the squad. It's mental. Mm. And ev- two years ago everyone was saying he could be like the next big thing for England and Spurs. And um he's I think he's played a couple of times in the Europa League and that's it. So it's yeah. mental. Everyone's fighting for their places, which is obviously um helping us on the pitch as well because everybody's got to play at hundred percent. Mm. Well, going from the top of the Premier League to second bottom in the WSL, <laughs> Tottenham's women aren't doing as great. And like this is something that you brought to my attention just before we started recording. Yeah. So I'm going to let you kind of take the lead on this one. Yeah, that's cool. Um, yeah, I haven't been following it too much. I've been following it from a distance on social media. Um, yeah, and the reason I wanted to bring it up is we actually sacked, well, um, Spurs uh, sacked the two head coaches of the women's team and it was, um, they'd been there for years from what I was reading. I, I wasn't aware of this. They'd been there for like 10 years or something. Um, mm. So they were very loyal to the club, but um, yeah, I, I've literally got the table in front of me right now. We're second from bottom in the Women's Super League. We haven't won a single game in seven games. Um and I think we got uh, we were out of one of the cups. I think there's two women's cups as well. I know we got knocked out by Arsenal in one. Um, so, yeah, yeah. So it's a pretty dire season. Um, and yeah, yesterday they announced that former England assistant coach uh, Rihan Skinner um, is coming on board and taking over the team. And she's worked with Phil Neville before. Um, and <laughs> even though she, she used to be at Arsenal, um, again, as assistant coach, she won a load of trophies there with them. So uh, I don't know too much about her, um, but she's won trophies before. Um, from re- reading about her, she seems a pretty amazing coach. So it'll be really interesting to see. And obviously we've... Um, Alex Morgan, we signed her. Um, yeah. Um, the American international, and she's like one of the best... Uh, players internationally in the women's game and she's only played I I noticed earlier she's only played a couple of times so far so again it's a bit like Bale we probably haven't seen the best from her Um, and maybe with a new coach coming on board who's of international level um, might do Alex Morgan and the team good but we we will have to see I'll keep it definitely be keeping a close eye on it but yeah it's been pretty shoddy um, from from the women's team unfortunately yeah, and I've got to be totally honest, I don't know too much about Skinner's background, but I, from quickly glancing through the article before we sort of started recording, mm. I think this is like her first like full co- coaching role as well. Like, mm. I think she, she previously was in charge of like the Great Britain team. Um, uh, uh, not, not. It wasn't like the Olympics. It was like a, one of like these international sort of tournaments, and she led that team to to gold. So she's, as you say, she's got the the pedigree and the caliber underneath her sort of thing. So it'll be interesting to to see how it kind of goes. So, as you say, like hoping to obviously push away from that that relegation spot in the WSL. I know. I think. At the moment, is it Bristol City that are languishing? Yeah, Bristol yeah. City. Uh, I mean, they're only two points away, but the goal difference alone is like an extra point. So, <laughs> but like, I think the the interesting thing as well is, is you, you kind of mentioned obviously Alex Morgan. Like, weirdly, she was the one that missed the penalty in the Super Cup that led to to them being knocked out by Arsenal. So, and I think there's this like ma- massive kind of cloud hanging over. Morgan's head in the fact that like she is seen as one of the greatest players in the women's game at the moment. Yeah, I know she had time away because uh, I think she had a child. Yeah, she but did. also, uh, but yeah, she also had a... like when she. Yeah, sorry, go on. <laughs> no, I was just I was just gonna say like also like I know when she first came to Spurs like 
she wasn't fully fit. So that's why she missed the first. Well, they say she wasn't fully fit, but then there was a video of her on social media, like sprinting the length of the pitch. But um, yeah, it'll be interesting to see like with Skinner coming in, if she decides to throw Morgan in at the deep end a bit more and kind of try and getting Spurs to play a bit more to Alex Morgan's sort of tempo and things like that. I don't know. Like, cause uh, like when I spoke to Emily, when I had her on, when we were doing the WSL sort of special episode, like kind of like the men's game, it is a bit of a, a sort of a three horse race at, at the top, but you've got these kind of teams that do languish around the bottom, like your Bristol cities, like your Aston Villas, I would normally say Birmingham, but Birmingham are doing quite well this season. Mm. So it's kind of like out of any like any one of those other teams can beat each other on a given day. But yeah, it's it's been a pretty dire start for Spurs at the moment. So it's definitely something to keep an eye on and see where yeah. this this goes in the future. Yeah, um, I think yeah because i think we only went up to the top league a couple of seasons ago so i think it will take time there's been a as you know obviously with the new stadium and we've had this amazing training facility for a few years now i think there's been a lot of investment on the women in the women's team as well so mm. we might see improvement and obviously um buying alex morgan's a, a big statement of intent um like they want to want to push on so yeah um i think it'll probably be a couple of years until we're challenging for that title but um i'm i'm sure it will be like i said it'll be interesting with this new coach coming in um what she what she brings to the table but as you said she's got she's got that pedigree and experience like working with phil neville uh working with like international teams working at arsenal as well and winning some trophies so yeah again we will we will have to see Mm. And going from one sort of new management appointment, kind of to a new one, uh, but we're dropping down several leagues to this. <laughs> we're going to, to Tramere Rovers. Um, they have appointed a new manager, but the reason I kind of brought this up, so they've they've appointed Keith Hill, um, who was formerly of uh, Rochdale and Bolton Wanderers for a, for a period of time. Um, but they were Tottenham. Uh, sorry, not Tottenham. Tranmere were were managerless for a couple of weeks or so after they'd sacked uh, Mick Jackson after only just three months in charge. Like they were basically sort of languishing in League Two. They'd got nine points from ten games. When I think the realistic hope for Tranmere was to kind of push on and maybe aim for the playoffs. That was sort of. The expectation now they then managerless they obviously had like hill in the background sort of getting ready for this appointment and i always find like this weird like transition period with teams like it's almost like a shop window thing like they know yeah. a new manager is going to come in so they try and play their best and they obviously did this because they ran out five nil winners against grimsby town now it's not just the fact that they won five nil like they won convincingly they played really well. Some of the goals were really good. And obviously that's impressing the new manager. But the team they beat was Ian Holloway's Grimsby Town. Now yeah. we all know and love Ian Holloway. Um, but before I kind of get into another reason why I brought this up, like, I don't know, like, do you find it weird that teams have this weird, like, transition period where all of a sudden they're like the best team in the world when they don't have a manager yeah i you definitely see it a lot um i'm trying to think of other examples but um it's even happened at big clubs where um there's rumors that a manager's going out and the players again i suppose it's a mental thing the players are probably not playing for that manager and they've kind of given up and then um as soon as um said manager gets sacked or or whatever happens like the players are just like they 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 have to show their best because they know that a new manager coming in will bring in new ideas they'll have their own opinions about those players um and you need to prove prove your place um 
I think again, like actually going back to Spurs, like I think Deli Ali did that when Mourinho came on board. Like the first couple of games, Mourinho was there. Deli Ali played absolute blinding games, mm. um, but then obviously, like like we were saying before, he's fallen down the pecking order. Um, but yeah, I, I think it's definitely a mental thing um, with with players. They want to go. This is what we can actually do. Um, yeah, and reading about. Um, like just Tranmere in general, I was looking at like their history um, and they're, they've always kind of just been uh, either in the conference or just in League Two. And I think they've been in League Two for a couple of couple of seasons now. And they just, yeah, they just haven't really done much. And I was reading some fan, uh, fan opinions and uh, people are just like, we just haven't, invested enough uh, or we're like not appointing the right people for these jobs uh, for the mm. for the manager's job they said about uh mike jackson um it's like he's only he'd only managed shrewsbury shrewsbury before once yeah uh in like 2016 as a caretaker and then um once again very briefly and uh he didn't get many points there and got sacked from there as well so it's yeah, I just don't understand their thinking. Um, and there's been some criticism around the Keith Hill appointment as well because a lot of the fans are just like, he hasn't really done much and he hasn't really... Yeah, like, he's not an, a name of massive note. Like, yeah, I mean, back in the day, saying you were a Bolton manager would have kind of been a bit of clout, but definitely not in 2020. Yeah, yeah definitely not in the last 10 years, that's for sure. <laughs> yeah, and I think it's like interesting so like for me Tranmere have always been a team that have been a bit of like a bogey team so I remember like when they were sort of doing a, a bit better and they were they I think they were in division one like at one point yeah I could have they, they were in, made this up yeah they were in division one just before it all changed and we had the premier league I think yeah. I think they were in division one for about 10 years yeah and I always remember like when we like they came to Fratton Park and played Pompey. They were always a team that we struggled against. I don't know why. They, they were just one of those. It was like them and Blackburn were always the teams we always managed to just like fuck up about, yeah. like against. And it's like I always remember. Do you remember Ian Hume? Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, he was like another one that was just like like synonymous with with Tramir for me. And but like yeah, as you say, like the last like few years they've always been this team language not saying they're a sleeping giant by any means <laughs> but they're like they're always one of those teams like you think oh yeah like Tramir Rovers sort of thing so you always you always want to see these teams kind of do like not well like as I say that you can't exactly expect them to be hopping up the leagues and being in the Premier League any time soon unless they get some tycoon yeah, takeover yeah. kind of thing but um yeah, the the other side of like why this story was quite interesting, what is because of Mister Holloway himself. So we all know he's he's quite the character, um, but I didn't actually realize. Like, I I knew he was manager somewhere, but I didn't realize it was at Grimsby. Yeah, but basically they're not having the greatest time either. Um, but there was something that about this game particularly that really stood out to me. So they've been struggling with, at the back, Grimsby, and they basically, I think in the summer, he, he tried to bring in a few defenders and strengthen things up. I think via like injuries or whatever, he had to play maybe like his second or third string of defenders, basically. But there's one player who specifically stood out in mind and i'm gonna butcher this i know i am <laughs> but uh so he's a former rangers player as well so it's bilal mons moshni 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 <laughs> i think i nailed it um but ba yeah so he basically holloway bought him in and the reason i think this is funny so this is the quote that he um in holloway said when he bought moshni in so he basically said he's going to be my leader he'll be my virgil van dyke you can play anywhere to be honest with you those are the so that's big boost basically yeah. saying he's the league okay it's league two but the league two virgil van dyke who for many people is considered the best defender in the world so signed him in the summer we're now what week 
10 yeah. of the league season, hadn't played a game for them. Um, but he was always kind of like floating around the squad, always on the bench, but hadn't kicked the ball. He comes on in this game uh, for about 20 minutes. And after the game, somebody had basically obviously asked him about it. And he said, once I played, he looks, this is again a quote from Holloway, uh, he looks like he'd almost died by the end of it because he hadn't played for months. So kind of shooting himself in the foot a little bit because he praised him so much, but also like saying he's not fit, but I still played him in a 5-0 defeat. And then the next morning, he gets the sack. Yeah. This is Mo- Mojny, not Holloway. Yeah. So he's played 21 minutes for the club. And then basically, so he's gone from being hyped up to be the new, the, the division's Virgil van Dijk to playing 20 minutes and being shown the door. <laughs> it's just fucking, that's Ian Holloway in a nutshell. Yeah, uh, well, that's exactly what I was about to say. So... Yeah, when when you said, oh, we'll talk about Grimsby, and I was like, oh, Ian Holloway's there. And I was like, oh, my God. Like, So everyone knows Ian Holloway best for his time at Blackpool and when he got them into the Premiership. And he yeah. his, his interview style and how he was all mouth all the time. Um, a lot of, I think a lot of journalists loved interviewing him just because he was hilarious. And I think a lot of like neutral fans did as well because he was just silly. Um um, but yeah, I, I was looking again, I was dug into his history post-Blackpool, kind of forgotten about him. I forgot he was at Palace and he was crap there. Uh, I think he was yeah. somewhere else and he was crap. And I, this is the thing, I think Ian Holloway is literally all mouth and no trousers. Like, <laughs> he is literally yeah. the epitome of that. Um, and yeah, so he's gone into Grimsby and he's, he's not just the manager, he's, he's invested a load of money into the club as well. So he's obviously he's obviously seeing this as a project. He's like, oh, let me see if I can invest my own money. I'll manage the team and I'll get them up a couple of leagues within a few years. Um, but they're barely like since he's taken over. They again, they're barely doing anything. And he said, um, I don't know if it was earlier today or um, later last night. Um, there's again criticism from. The Grimsby Town fans, and he was very much like, "I'll go if they want me to, but I don't want to go." I think he wants to fight to stay there. I mean, it does help. Mm. It does help that he's invested a load of money in the club, so he's got a say on the board. Um, but it, yeah, I just don't. I just don't rate Ian Holloway. I think it's such a shame because he was such a big character for that one moment at, at Blackpool. <laughs> yeah. Um, and he's just kind of tarnished his, um, tarnished his own name really and his legacy at that one time, but he hasn't done anything anywhere else. And I don't, I think Grimsby, they're just not going to do anything again. They're going to be, no. they're going to be like Tranmere. They're just going to languish in league two. Um, I, I w- obviously I would never, wish them to get relegated but if they did after reading what i've read today and last night i wouldn't be surprised if they went down yeah i mean they're they're currently sort of like flirting with that relegation zone though so they're uh four points from from safety at the moment but having only won three games and as you say like when somebody's i mean it's not like a huge sum of money but still it's an investment into the club like and like, again, sort of like with with Tranmere, like you you can kind of consider Grimsby one of the bigger teams in that division. Like, I mean, Newport County are top of that that league at the moment. Yeah. And like, again, no disrespect to Newport County, but I don't really consider them like a big team. Like, out of the teams, just like scrolling through, like I'd say maybe like Carlisle, Exeter, Colchester. But then you've got, like, as you say, your Tramage, your Leighton Orient, like Bolton down there sort of thing, and Bradford. Like, they're the teams yeah. that I would think should be at that top of te- top end of the table along with Grimsby. But, yeah, they're, they're struggling and could be down there latterly into the season. We'll, we'll have to wait and see. But, yeah, yeah I, think it, I think Ian Holloway is more... 
he's beloved as a character rather than his his actual achievement. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, I just uh, it's funny because now we've talked about it, I really want to keep an eye on what happens uh, with him. But, um, <laughs> yeah. And just just see what happens and start what uh, the trouble is he he doesn't have that obviously he had that platform at Blackpool where he could just go on uh Sky Sports and just run his mouth um but it must be yeah, it must yeah. be really hard for him being at a, a lower league club and going actually nobody's actually listening to me anymore like <laughs> I mean I I'd imagine he doesn't really care and he just still I mean that, like those quotes alone as I say like they were just pulled from I think like the local Grimsby paper, so yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> so he's obviously still, still very much got the, the the charm and and things like that going <laughs> for him. Um, but again, we're gonna we're gonna completely swivel and go to, I think probably the worst named award ever, but the winner of the Golden Boy twenty twenty. Uh, Mr. Erling Haaland, who is just an absolute machine. So, like, the reason we're bringing him up is, so British Dortmund beat Hertha Berlin 5-2. Four of the goals were from Erling Haaland, I think all in the second half after Dortmund had gone behind in the game. Um, on the day that he was announced... So, for people that don't know and think, why the hell am I calling him a golden boy? It's not... <laughs> For any creepy Nazi reasons, that's the name of like the equivalent of the Ballon d'Or for young players, essentially. Um, and on the, so on this day, Harlan scores four goals. He has then basically equal. I think he's equaled or beaten the amount of hat tricks. Oh yeah, so he's now scored as many hat tricks in the Bundesliga as German footballing great Thomas Muller. But Haaland has done it in like a quarter of the time. He's done that in just 22 Bundesliga appearances, mm. which is fucking insane. So my question to you, Adam, is what is in Norwegian water right now? I, yeah, I don't know. Um, obviously, everyone's talking about him. There was rumours um, that he was going to go here, going to go there, because everyone everyone just wants a piece of him. Um uh yeah I, I i mean i don't know what else to say about him like he's just insane i was watching that uh those goals that he scored um that those four goals the other night and he's just got he's just got the qualities of um a lot of other world-class strikers he's a bit kind of actually reminds me i know i'm biased but he does kind of remind me of kane a little bit how he plays mm. um like out of those four goals, I think the first one he was in the six yard box for a cross, like a low cross and a tap in, which Kane does a lot. Yeah, yeah. But then um, a couple of his other goals, he's more left footed than right footed, and his strikes from sort of the edge of the box or just outside the box, again a bit like Kane, like low driving shots, just insane. Like his accuracy. Um, it's just mental and that's obviously why he's scoring so many goals um, and scarily as well I was reading um, there was an interview with him I think it was towards the start of the season um, and he was saying about how he's training his right foot to be as good as his left foot now so he's only 20 years old he's good he's gonna be insane yeah. he's I would not be surprised after this season or maybe next um, if um, I mean, obviously Dortmund are a huge club anyway, but if someone in the Premier League or a Barcelona or a Real Madrid try and snap him up because, um, I mean, Dortmund are amazing, but I think he could do amazing things at another club as well. Um, it'll be interesting to see how loyal he is to, to Dortmund because they've obviously given him his, given him his chance. Um yeah, and going back to the hat tricks, I think um, it, like professional hat tricks because obviously he's scored quite a bit for Norway as well. Um, I think there's only like ten or so players that have scored more professional hat tricks. Obviously, there's like the Messi's, Ronaldo's, Kane's, um, but the fact that he's already got there at 20 years old, he's going to be one of the. If he keeps going the way he is, he's going to be one of the greatest goal scorers of all time, which is amazing. Mm. 
And just sort of like you bringing up the the way he took his goals, that second goal for me, I think was ju- just like iconic of a striker in the fact that so when you watch it in real time, like the ball was played through to him and he's just tracked the run of the ball yeah. here first time. But then when you see it in the replays and it's slowed down, not only is he following the ball, he looks at the goal like three times and you think like he as soon as you see him make that motion of like looking at the goal, you know exactly where he's planting it. And the keeper, despite like obviously seeing those head movements, just doesn't have a chance. And it's like that intuition of a striker that like as I was never the greatest striker, but as someone that used to play in that position, yeah, like I love seeing that. It's just like that mentality of like, right, I know exactly where I'm going to put it. That and like, and doing exactly that is just. And as you say, like, he, he's twenty. It's like fucking insane how good this guy is at just twenty years old. Yeah, and De- like banging in goals. Yeah, definitely. And yeah, like I was saying before, not slagging off the Bundesliga. Bundesliga is still a great league, but it would be interesting whether it's in a couple of years or even, say, six or seven years down the line, if he went somewhere like um, the Premier League. I'd love to, I think anyone would love to see any great player in the Premier League, but if he came to the Premier League and could do the same, because obviously the Premier League, yeah. Premier League is probably tougher. Um, for the bigger clubs, as as we've seen this season, it's not like um, Bundesliga where there's sort of four or five teams and everybody else. Um, and the same with like La Liga, where it's only three or four, three or four decent teams. But I'd love to see him uh, repeat repeat this in another league, maybe a couple of years down the line. But he, yeah, he's one. He he potentially will be one of the biggest names of all time. He could be the next uh, Ronaldo or Messi if he keeps going the way he is. Mm. And my only counterpoint to what you're saying about potentially seeing him in like the Premier League or, sort of, or like a, a Real Madrid or a Barcelona or something like that, my only thinking in this is because he's currently in a league where Robert Lewandowski exists. Yeah. And obviously we all know about his goal-scoring prowess but Lewandowski is getting older. He's, I think he's now 31, yeah. 32. Um, so he's obviously going to be thinking about hanging his boots up in the next coming few years. I'd be interested to see if Munich aren't sniffing around Haaland and thinking of him as Lewandowski's replacement. Because, like... At the moment, obviously they won the Champions League last season. Like Bayern Munich are pound for pound the best team in Europe right now. Mm. Like nobody can dispute that. So if they continue to show that and continue to grow, why wouldn't Haaland want to go there and win medals and win Bundesligas and win Champions Leagues? So I think that would be a very interesting narrative to to follow if he doesn't go to either one of the bigger English teams or, like, you, your Real Madrid's or Barcelona's. Yeah, I think it depends on his loyalty to the Bundesliga. The one thing that I've always noticed about just in general players um, in the Bundesliga, they have a very fierce loyalty to that league. It's not like a lot of players that flip between England, Spain, Italy or whatever. Um a lot of players that play in the Bundesliga will stay there. So kind of going against my my previous point, actually. Um, <laughs> it'll be, he, he might end up playing his whole career in the Bundesliga. Because, um, yeah, but going back to like Lewandowski, you look at him. Um, I don't, don't think he's played in any other leagues, like any of the major leagues. He's pretty much stayed there. But like you look at people, yeah. like, people like Ronaldo and Ronaldo's like, I want to play everywhere. Ibrahimovic, I want to play everywhere. Um, so you never know. He might end up just staying there. And like you say, he, if he doesn't stay at Dortmund, um, you're right. Bayern Munich would be the, the, log- the only logical step for him. Mm. And just before we move on, I don't know how true this is because this is going off a Wikipedia post <laughs> that I've literally just seen. But apparently he was born in Leeds. What? 
So, yeah, apparently, it's That's his birthplace cool. Leeds. So. I did not know that. <laughs> well, you learn something new every day. As I say, this is Wikipedia, so who knows how true that is. But oh. if that is true, that is bonkers. We should, we should get him playing for England. Get him off Norway, that's for sure. Now with James Sancho. Haaland's making his way forward. Erling Haaland! That is sublime! A telepathic connection between him and Jaden Sancho. I'm taking this moment in isolation because we're going to have to go across the pond to the Atlantic to talk about the MLS. Now, hands up here, I am not the biggest follower of the MLS. I think it fucking confuses me. Like, it's like it's kind of... Yeah, I don't know. The way they kind of do it, it's not a normal league. Like, I'm sorry for any MLS fans that are listening and just thinking I'm being a bumbling idiot right now. But the reason this is being brought up because it has given birth to one of the most bizarre penalty shootouts I have ever seen in my life. So this is in the... The MLS season is finished. Their the regular season is finished. They've now gone into their playoffs, which basically, like all American sport, determines who wins the overall title. So this match was between Orlando City and New York City FC. Uh, the game was quite bland. The two finished one all. Both goals were in the first 10 minutes. So... You think, okay, this is going to be quite exciting. Two goals in 10 minutes, one of which is a penalty. This could be an enjoyable, entertaining game. No, an extra 80 minutes goes on with not a whole lot else happening, to be totally honest. It goes to extra time, same thing, not much else happens. It then goes to penalties, and this is where it gets fucking crazy. (laughs) Uh, So... It was 4-3. Orlando was set to take the next one. Basically, if Orlando's keeper, Pedro Gaizzi, again, butchering names. I shouldn't be doing a football podcast because I'm so shit here. But basically, if he saved it, it meant that Orlando were going through. Uh, The New York player steps up, takes the the penalty keeper saves it wild celebrations to the point where i think this is one of my favorite bits from this the orlando manager ran down the tunnel galloping yeah didn't um, did, did, didn't he didn't even shake hands with the opposition he was like fuck this i'm out of here runs down the tunnel yeah, literally literally running down the touchline that was it um and then all of a sudden the refs sort of blowing his whistle and kind of bringing things to a calm and you're thinking, okay, what's going on? And it goes to VAR, that wonderful invention that is VAR. And Galassi has literally his heel an inch off of his line. Uh, So during normal time, the keeper had received a yellow card. I I don't know what for, but he'd received a yellow card. So because this was deemed a penalty infringement for some bizarre reason rather than just taking retaking the penalty the ref decided this was a bookable offense so sent him off and this is where the craziness really unfolds so i don't know like i feel like i'm talking a lot adam do you want to kind of, kind of... <laughs> yeah no that's all right um yeah i mean well yeah that's just the the start of yeah the so he steps off his line. He gets sent off. Now I I did watch it, and I I, I can't remember if um, if he'd stepped off his line before. But I was like, that is really harsh. Like sending him off um, for just stepping off the line once. So yeah, anyway, that happens. All this craziness, and then they try and sub the keeper, which I didn't think you could even do during a penalty shootout. No. Um, so they, the officials let them sub on the spare keeper, but then in this madness, they realised that they'd actually used all their subs 
So then that keeper had to come off again. And then, because obviously the other team kicked off and were like, how are you sending on a, a keeper? What the fuck's going on? So they put a defender in goal, um, which obviously makes more sense because they'd used all their subs, blah, 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 this, that and the other. Um, and then he only goes and bloody saves a, saves a penalty. But then yeah, he saves a penalty and then they celebrate like they'd won, forgetting that they actually had to take another penalty um, to yeah. actually win the game. And it's just like, just the absolute incompetence of A, the referees, B, the teams, like the scorekeeping, like everyone's just incompetent. I just, I watched it and I was just like, what, like, is everyone just being an idiot? <laughs> so, so in the, like in the interim, when all this was sort of like going on, like, as, as you said, like the, this Argentine defender, um, Rodrigo Shalgi, I think his name, again, yeah. butchering names. Um, but they basically, they, the first one he faced, New York scored, um, which then kind of sent it into, I think he was already in sudden death at this point. I can't remember. Yeah, yeah. But basically the, the per, person that had to step up, oh no, yeah, so that sent it into sudden death. So the person who stepped up first for... Orlando was previous of Man United fame, sporting one of the most ridiculous hairdos I've ever seen in the world, Portuguese striker Nani, who decided who missed his penalty. So then obviously New York had to score to send them through. And this is when the keeper made this the, the well, sorry, the defender made the save. And literally like it's an iconic image, so like I'll talk about the the image in a minute. But he's just like fist pumping, legs spread wide, like screaming, like that he's saved this penalty. Obviously, all the players come rushing over, and then there is another moment's hesitation, like, "Have we won?" And the ref blows to say, "Like, yep, yeah, yep, yeah, you've won. Well done, guys." And so off they go celebrating, and then one of his assistants be like, "No, no, <laughs> no, they need to, they need to score." And it's just, oh, it's just, yeah. And, uh, like, uh, this isn't, like, the best advert for MLS football. And, like, there's obviously been, uh, like, over the years, like, the whole thing, like, the American game is the place that, like, football greats go to get their retirement check and, and all this kind of thing. But they've obviously, throughout the years, tried to invest in it and kind of change that perception. But... This isn't doing them any favors. Yeah, it's just it's just laughable. More more the fact that the official the officials and bear in mind, like because they're in the top league, they've got to be like FIFA standard. Um, and I'm just like, how how have these referees like managed to ref this game and and obviously such an important game as well? It's just like it's just absolutely laughable. You think if that happened in the Premier League? there would be absolute uproar. I think every football yeah. fan in the UK would either be laughing or just screaming at like the officials and the FA and just going, this is an absolute fucking joke. But the fact that it's the MLS, it's just, it's just funny because the MLS has always been weird. Um, it's like, I just had an image flash back in, uh, back into my mind when they used to have penalty shootouts years ago. I don't know if you ever saw this they used to do a run from the halfway line so they used to yes yeah 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 so they used to dribble the ball from the halfway line and then the keeper because it was kind of like hockey like hockey ice, like hockey. ice hockey yeah, yeah. Wasn't and the it? keeper yeah. could, keeper could stay within the penalty area and it was just, it was just bizarre like it was like no that's not how you do a penalty shootout you're supposed to put it on the spot and yeah it, it's just the fact that it's the MLS just makes it more laughable um, and just more comedic. And yeah, um, I hope those referees get sacked, basically. <laughs> <laughs> so the reason I kind of mentioned the, the the image was the other thing that was brilliant about this is whoever runs Orlando City's Twitter page deserves to a medal or to take a bow or something. Firstly, because of the way he covered this weird penalty shootout, but then what he did afterwards. So during the so the first tweet he put out was 
basically after the the initial shot was saved from Galassi, uh, New York put up a, a heartbroken emoji, and he just put "not sorry" with a kiss, which is chef's kisses. That's brilliant. But then moments later, because obviously of all the confusion, he's put uh, NYC's fifth penalty was saved, but the ref ruled that Galassi had left his line early, so showed him a second yellow. Brian Rowe will enter the game. So this was the substitution that wasn't a substitution like thought would go ahead. Obviously, then there was more confusion. So he's literally just bashed the keyboard and there's just a load of letters and sent that tweet. And then obviously there's more confusion and he's just put, we tweet some explanation, but we don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Which I just think is brilliant. And then obviously uh, the defender saves the penalty. And as I say, there's this iconic image of him like legs wide, like fist pumping like down the floor. And like most football clubs have like the the crest as their profile picture yeah. but no that image is now their profile oh, picture oh i didn't realize which, that yeah which i think is just absolutely brilliant so despite the complete fuck up that this penalty shootout was like that guy where i like to give out little punk badges that that is a punk badge so hats off to hats off to you nice nice yeah i didn't realize that i'll have to i'll have to check that out afterwards but yeah, M- MLS football, bizarre as fuck. Um, yeah, I, I, please like go seek out the YouTube video of this and just watch it in like for English fans particularly, just watch it in pure disbelief as like cause so, so like the first off is like the VAR thing like I think we can relate to that because we've seen goalkeepers decisions do that anyway. But the, my first like head scratch moment was when they tried to substitute the keeper, and I was like, "Eh." Yeah. And yeah. it just it just goes from weirder to weirder from there. Yeah, I had to. Uh, I I looked up the the rules as well earlier, and just to make sure I wasn't going mad. And yeah, you can you can make a substitution, um, but the fact that they used all their substitutes. Um, is yeah yeah how nobody had realized that i don't know um yeah just absolute shambles i wonder if their manager just like tried to get away with it because it was a goalkeeper i think so i think i think he was trying to do a donald trump on the uh on the penalty shootout (laughs) just try try and swing the penalty shootout any way any way shape or form I just realised I've completely forgot to mention as well. So I mentioned, obviously, like when the initial save happened, the the Orlando manager went galloping down the tunnel. His assistant had to drag him back because they were like, no, they're making us retake it. And the camera panned to him and he just like tail between his legs, like saunters back onto the sideline. It was just, oh, just so much about this was just fucking weird. Yeah. But like... It's it's things like this is why I love football because it's just so weird. You can't even like fathom that it happened, but it it happened in a real life professional game of football. Yeah, that's just reminded me actually. It reminds me of when uh, Spurs played Man City in the Champions League and uh, VAR came to our rescue, and like Man City were going mental because uh, they thought they'd got that goal that got them through, and then. Uh, Two minutes later, VAR ruled it out, and Pep, oh yeah, yeah, of course, Pep, yeah. Pep Guardiola was very much the same. He went from being on the touchline on his knees, um, like celebrating, to two minutes later, just stood there, just going, oh, "I'm such an idiot." Like for <laughs> <laughs> Anderson to strike now. Schlegel's in the back. The shot. Schlegel saves it. Can you believe that? Unbelievable stuff here. Unbelievable stuff here, ladies and gentlemen. Game in history. One for one. Schlegel here. Saving the shot from Daraninson. His right boot never left. That goal line. What a finish. Where it's ridiculous, right? This is getting kind of ridiculous. Cool. So as we round off the week again, as always on the Monday, we like to point out 
who we think has been punk of the week and who we think has been absolute Tory scum. Um, I'm going to admit, I kind of struggled to find a bit of a Tory this week because there wasn't anything that hugely stood out to me. So I'm going to go with a bit of a random one, but it's going to be the Republic of Ireland team, purely because of this whole thing that's kind of come out recently about them, this, this video that apparently they showed before the England game last week. Um, there haven't been too much details about what was kind of shown in it. All they've kind of said is some political content. Now, I don't know whether that's in relation to stuff to do with like um, the old civil war and things like that, or like racist undertones or stuff like that. But basically like at the moment, fingers are kind of being pointed towards their former goalkeeping coach now, uh, Alan Kelly, as being one of the people that sort of uh, instigated showing this video to the players to kind of G them up, essentially. Um, so, yeah, I think, like, if it is anything to do with, like, racism or, like, any sort of bad political undertones, that is a very scummy move. So that's the reason I've kind of gone gone with them. Um, who's your who's your Tory, Adam? Uh, yeah, I, I struggled as well um, to find like a real uh, nasty piece of work this week. So I'm going with um, Frank Lampard because uh, oh, okay, just because we're playing Chelsea next weekend and they are <laughs> they're se- obviously things might change with Leicester um, after we record this, but Chelsea are two points behind us, so. Next week's game is massively important, and I obviously, being a Spurs supporter, I hate Chelsea anyway. So, <laughs> um, he is my personal Tory of the week just because I hate Chelsea, I hate Lampard, and I want us to beat them next weekend. So, that's my choice. Cool, and we'll we'll end on a on a lighter note. So we'll go with who we think is punk. Um, we'll start with you. Who's your punk of the week? Um, I've got to go back to uh, Mr. Son of um, Spurs, just because uh, he scored a great goal uh, this weekend against City. Um, and like we were talking before, um, he is just an absolutely stellar player, and it's really great to see him playing as well as he is the last well since the beginning of this season so he is my punk of the week cool um mine i'm going with not necessarily just for his like for his performance this week because um even though everton did win today i know he wasn't instrumental but mine is going to be richarlison nice um because of his attitude away when he was with brazil so uh, basically he scored for Brazil against Uruguay um, but after the game he I, I think he did a celebration during it as well but uh, he kind of explained what it was about after the game and he's basically said this is dedicated to the people of an area of Brazil called Am- Amape I think it's, it's called but basically they were with like this area of the country was without electricity for two weeks oh, wow. and he was basically saying like i want them to know i scored this goal for them because they are unable to watch the game right now because they don't have any electricity they have no means of communication or anything like that um and off the back of that like other people have kind of come forward and kind of putting pressure on the brazilian government to sort of address this issue so and i think like we've heaped loads of praise on marcus rashford on this podcast all the incredible work he's doing over here Mm. so it's good to see like players in big positions are addressing these social political issues within their own countries as well and it's like yeah it's an issue that i thought like i would have have otherwise known about so that is why he's my punk of the week oh nice one yeah good story cool right so adam before i let you go um You've got a new sort of idea. Well, it's not a new idea in some ways, but you're, you're trying something new with, with audience, please. So tell us a little bit about that. Get your plug in and, and we'll try and bump it up. Yeah, thanks, man. Um, yeah, so um, on audience, please, my podcast, it's all around um, interviews with bands and their favourite gig stories, um, the gigs that they've played and gigs that they've been to as fans. So um, I actually... 
um, kind of nick this idea from someone else with their permission. Um, thank you, Sarah, if you listen to this. Um, and I'm doing a fan special before the end of the year because we've had such a torrid year with hardly any gigs, etc., etc. I want fans to submit their own stories, so um, three-minute clips on their favourite gig. Uh, ever or it might just be like a funny story from a gig like something stupid's happened to their mate for example um so yeah i'm just asking all of my listeners and uh, just in general mates and everything if they can submit a, a three minute audio clip um celebrating a, a gig and a venue and a band and a moment so yeah just something a bit different to do before the end of the year and hopefully uh bring a bit of laughter and a bit of light into everyone's lives in the music community when we're having such a shit time. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I couldn't agree more. Perfect. So, Adam, as always, an absolute pleasure. And as I said before, I'm sure it won't be the last time, especially if Spurs continue to, to do well this season. Yeah, fingers crossed. Thanks, man. <laughs>